The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Would you like to know how to make better decisions for your business, your people, or yourself? Do you want to recognize when you make errors of judgment that cause the quality of your decisions to drop? And when you are moving away from, not closer to, your goal? Welcome to Because There's More with Laura Ellis. For the next hour, Laura and her guests will share experiences and insights that will challenge and stretch your thinking, help you recognize your biases, and ultimately guide you towards more predictable and accurate decisions. You'll walk away from this show feeling better informed, more inspired, and a lot more confident about your next big decision. Now, here's your host, Laura Ellis. Hello, I'm Laura Ellis, and this is Because There's More, the show that takes a closer look at decision-making. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, a very warm welcome, and thank you for joining our show. And, of course, thanks to all our returning listeners who come back time and time again because you find here the information um, to help you elevate the quality of your business decisions. So I'm very excited today. We have a great show ahead of us. My guest is a highly accomplished professional, a tab advisor, uh, which is the company that I founded back in 2013 and for which this radio show is an uh, extension, an arm of. Um, And above all, he's a remarkable human being with very strong ties to his community. His name is Phil Armstrong, and I am absolutely thrilled to have him on the show today. Welcome to the show, Phil. Thank you, Laura. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be talking with you and sharing with your listeners today. Thanks very much for inviting me on your show. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Um, You and I met about three months uh, into my first Canadian job, um, working for a large uh, international insurance organization, and I'll never forget how we met. Because uh, at the time, my department was going through some uh, difficulties. We were implementing an organization-wide software. And uh, there were very high, uh, a lot of high stakes involved with the success of this uh, progress. And things were not uh, progressing that well, uh, particularly because of the relationship we had uh, with the vendor. Um, and um, I, I didn't, uh, it didn't look like we're going to, you know, complete the project. And that's when you um, got involved. Do you remember that incident? Oh, yes. <laughs> I do remember. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, if I were to describe here that experience that uh, here was this gentleman appearing riding a white horse to free us from uh, the bad people, it would be no exaggeration. That's exactly how it felt because you intervened at a very critical time for us and helped us avoid a disaster. And you did everything. I I know that the nerves were quite uh, tight uh, amongst me, uh, you know, amongst the team I was part of. And and you just walked in and you were very calm and you kept everything uh, under control and, and then everything just went well all of a sudden. There were no problems. And that was back in 2006. Um... 
today um, you have um, uh, moved on and have worked for different organizations, but today you are Senior Vice President for Sun Life's Enterprise Shared Services Organization, where you're responsible for the delivery of all business system applications supporting the company's Canadian, corporate, UK, and Asian uh, business groups, the investments division, as well as the digital and technology innovation functions across Sun Life globally. So, wow, that's that's a huge that's a, that's a big title, uh, job. <laughs> Sorry? That's a big title. It is, isn't it? And, and there's a, a lot of work uh, to do. Um, and I know that uh, uh, I'm just going through some of the things that, that um, to introduce you to, to our listeners. Um, you are a member of the company's Canadian executive team, Asia Technology Camp. Council, the Enterprise Services Executive Team, and the Chairman of the Board of Directors for the India Service uh, Centre. So, over time, you have established yourself as a highly accomplished global financial services executive with over 35 years of uh, IT experience. I know from personal experience that you're a very strong strategic thinker with large-scale practical change management experience. And you work in 40 plus countries. You've implemented strategies, IT strategy initiatives, mergers, acquisition, uh, channel digitization, technology innovation. So you really have done it all. And, and on top of this, you also have had time um, to write because you're a published author. In fact, you have your own publishing house. Is that correct? That's right, yeah. Right. Phil, when do you have time to do all this? (laughs) Um, Well, I I think I'm going to start bringing you uh, to every meeting I go to now, Lara. That was a fantastic introduction. Thank you very much. (laughs) Uh, I do spend a lot of time on planes, trains, and automobiles. Um, You know, I have a global job, and I travel around a a, a lot, and sometimes uh, 18-hour flights. So it's uh, it's pretty easy to sneak in some time to do uh, other things that I enjoy doing, like writing and, and other things. So yeah, it's a it's a busy life. Yeah, that, that's amazing. And, and I know you are involved in um, in, in your community. I know that uh, last uh, either this year or last year you participated in the bus, uh, ice bucket challenge. I did. Yes, I was drenched like many other people, <laughs> and I How actually did, did mine. I did mine in full suit and tie. Yeah. How, how did that come about? Uh, that was a challenge that was going around the executives in our company. And uh, unfortunately, I think I was about sixth or seventh uh, person in our company to do it. And so we were all trying to uh, outdo everybody else. And so I decided I would do mine full suit and tie, bucket over the head. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was refreshing. Of course. <laughs> Again, I, I have to uh, keep looking at the video because it's, it's great. Um, I was mentioning earlier how, how we met, and I don't know if I ever mentioned to you, but you know what struck me the most when, when I met you? Uh, the organization we both worked in, at least from my perspective, it was quite hierarchical. So there were a lot of the times when I wouldn't have an opportunity to um, interact or talk much with the very senior executives, of which you, you were one. And what 
I will always remember is how personable and friendly you are and how you would uh, uh, talk to us, uh, myself and the other uh, member uh, of the team. Uh, she was the analyst there. Um, and it's something that in, in doing some of the research has come up over and over again from people who uh, who work with you, that you're really a down-to-earth, highly accessible um, individual, uh, very, very willing to, to help others, which, of course, brings me to the point that today you're a TAB advisor. So help us understand what made you agree to be part of TAB and, uh, you know, part of this organization that I've started. Well... Larry, I come from very humble beginnings. I was born in the north of England uh, in West Yorkshire, and I, I moved to London at an early age and, and got a, a, a very good education and was lucky to fall into some jobs that exposed me to capital markets in London and worked my, up, worked my way up the ladder. Uh, I haven't forgotten where I've come from. I'm very proud of my heritage, and you know it's been instilled upon me from a very early age uh, to be reasonable, pleasant, and nice uh, to everybody that you meet. It doesn't matter where you are, at what level you are in the company. And so as I've been fortunate enough to do uh, some wonderful work throughout my career, and uh, have, have, uh, I'm now a proud Canadian, um, I always uh, go back to my base self. There's no point changing your base self. And um, I'm just at that stage in my career now where, you know, I've gone through the difficult projects, as you've mentioned. I've got lots of experience, worked in 47 countries, met all kinds of people around the world, and it's just time to give back. I think what you're doing with TAB is, uh, is unique. It's, it's fantastic. I wish that something like that would have been around earlier on in my career as I was starting into senior management. Um, advice and premium advice like that is very, very tough to come by. You've assembled um, an extremely talented group, such diversity in that group in terms of industries and experience. Um, it, it's phenomenal. And to tap into that would, would have been wonderful for me um, as a young executive or moving up through the ranks. So I just felt that it was uh, a fantastic opportunity, and knowing you personally, I thought it was a fantastic opportunity for me to, to join this uh, illustrious crowd and, and really give back and provide some advice and counsel to people who are going through uh, pretty much what I went through in my earlier career. Yeah, that's that's amazing, and thank you again and again. And I will say uh, this story. I will share it because uh, since you and I met uh, when uh, uh, you offered your kind help, I've been telling these stories uh, to many people, and every time I get a little bit choked when I talk about it. Uh, so although we've known each other for a long time, I know that uh, in the early days it was quite. Um, challenging for me to explain with clarity uh, what it is that the organization does. And um, I am um, uh, at times uh, impulsive and overexcitable. So I remember calling you about two, three years ago, trying to explain to you uh, what it is that I'm doing. 
and asking you if you were uh, if you want to be a part of it. But I know for sure that I described it uh, wrongly at the time because I know that uh, your answer was no, simply because you are part of other board of directors, which was clearly what TAB was not. So I took a step back. Then I, I learned the lesson that I really have to go and work on on branding what it is that I'm doing and explaining well what I'm doing. So about uh, a year and a half into it, um, you we talked, we stayed in touch, we've stayed in touch ever since we met in 2006. And the reason for it is I have huge respect for you as a professional, as an individual. And uh, you reached out to me. You uh, asked to meet for lunch, and then there you were saying, Laura, I, I understand now how it works. I want to help. I want to be a part of this. So every time I say this story, I get a bit choked because I can't tell you how fortunate I feel that uh, uh, someone with your busy life and busy schedule and um, has taken the time to think that there is some time in his day for me and you have said just write whenever you need help so I can't thank you enough oh you're welcome Laura um, I'd like to talk more about your writing because it it's uh, it seems such a um, a different facet of what it is you do although I know because of my background that there's always connections so tell me more about the writing how did it start um, you know, I'm a, I'm a production engineer, and uh, I work in systems. And so um, the writing started uh, one, one snowy day in Canada. I was stuck at home. The snow was piling up. I was looking for something to do. And I set myself a challenge, and I wanted to write a book for my wife as a gift. And so... I've traveled extensively. I've got lots of experiences and anecdotes and stories from places around the world and different cultures. And so I drew upon that and started to draft out uh, in a very logical way using, using uh, my analytical brain uh, the outline of a book. And this book um, originally was just a manuscript that I was going to give to my wife who absolutely loves reading. And so uh, I'm, a, I'm a person uh, that loves quotes. I love to um, remember quotes and apply them at the right time. I, I find learning from other people's um, uh, quotes is fascinating. And so I started to wrap together this story called Two Promises. And it's a book about a young woman who moves, who, who, who moves around the world trying to deliver on two promises that she makes two distinct and separate promises. And as I said, she has to travel around the world and meet different people in different cultures to deliver upon her promises. It's a very interesting book. Um, it's uplifting. It's full of humor and quotes. And I, I ended up, uh, it took me a year to write, and I ended up giving it to my wife for her birthday. She read it, and I have to say, she said to me at the time, uh, she was absolutely petrified because how do you turn around after a year and say to your husband, uh, that's not a very good book. Um, but at the end, she turned to me and she said, this is so good. You should publish this. You should really try to get this out there. And so that's, that's the genesis. That's how it started. 
That's amazing. That's amazing. It just makes the, the point of the, the right support and the right things to say at the right time makes such a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you, you write both short stories and, and longer story, and the, the short story are more real-life story or look-like, uh, whereas there's others that have uh, monsters and princesses. And, mm-hmm. and how do those... Uh, uh, how did those come together, the differences between the two? Well, the first book, Two Promises, um, I, I, uh, in the early days of your business, you were sort of struggling to capture the essence of, of, of the uniqueness of what your, what your tab um, company does. And, and I had a similar problem with Two Promises. I, it didn't really fit in any genre. And so no publishing house would actually publish my book because it didn't neatly fit or conform. And so I'm a very tech-savvy person, so I decided, you know what, I'm going to start my own publishing house. I don't really need a publishing house to tell me what people want to read. So I started my own publishing house, Two Promises Publishing House, and I published my first book, Two Promises. I wrote another book um, with the same characters called The Skin of the Gods, uh, gold in the Egyptian culture is the skin of the gods. Um, and then uh, my niece, who read both books, um, she was about eight or nine years old at the time. She told me, um, the books are great, uh, but it's not truly a great book. And so I got into a bit of a dialogue with her, and I said, well, what, what makes a truly great book? And she goes, well, a book can't be truly great unless there's a princess, some castles, some dragons, and a mystical forest. And so uh, as a birthday present to her, I kind of went off genre and wrote a modern-day fairy tale for her with all of those elements in it. She thinks it's a truly great book. And then I've started a new book now, um, a new series of books. The first one was Autumn's Ravage, which uh, is set in a, a northern mining village of, called Autumn. And all kinds of things ensue there. And I'm writing my fifth book right now. The short stories I'd had written um, just on long airplane rides. Uh, So I actually have four books and four short stories now. That's amazing. Phil, my birthday is in January. so (laughs) (laughs) I'll try and get it ready for January. (laughs) Thank you so much. Um, So... They, they are amazing. I, I just read some of the um, excerpts, and, and it's very interesting that uh, you're saying that sometimes you have to uh, fit uh, the world uh, around you to, to match a different reality. And we'll kind of take that uh, conversation further and, and talk more about the work that you do today and, and how you approach innovation, which I know that uh, you've been very successful at, and and um, it, it's a strong um, skill and capability of yours. Uh, for now, we're kind of a, um, a couple of minutes away from a break, so what will happen? Uh, we will be going into a commercial break. If you have any questions for us, if you happen to listen and have any questions for us, please send me an email at lellis at trustedadvisoryboard.com. I know Phil and I will be happy to answer them. Um, Otherwise, uh, stay tuned. 
and uh, we will be talking to you in a couple of minutes. Don't go away because you'll get to hear uh, a lot of the insights and, and knowledge that uh, Phil has uh, uh, collected through his uh, very, very vast uh, experience. So we'll be back in a couple of minutes. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you a CEO, a board director, or an entrepreneur looking to have more control over the future of your organization? If the answer is yes, you need Tab Ignite. Our approach is unique, intelligent, and it works. Our solution is exclusively positioned to guarantee the results you seek for your business because we make it simple for you to tap our advisor's expertise and experience and make accurate business decisions. Ask Tab Ignite to work for you at tabignite at trustedadvisoryboard.com and make your next decision the first of many best decisions for your company. Do you believe in the value you bring to an organization? Have you been overlooked for a promotion because you think differently than your peers? Do you know that you can and will make a difference to the business? Let Tab Advanced be your personal advisory board and help you make different, better decisions about your career. Our team is customized to your successful advancement and hones in on when, why, and how you make those decisions. Build a more fulfilling career. Contact us today at Advance at TrustedAdvisoryBoard.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Because There's More with host Laura Ellis. To connect with our program today, please send Laura an email to lellis at trustedadvisoryboard.com. Now, back to Because There's More. Hello, I'm Laura Ellis, and this is Because There's More, the show that takes a closer look at decision-making. And I'm here today with Phil Armstrong, who's been kind enough to take the time of his very busy day and talk to us about um, things that he enjoys doing, which uh, range from writing and opening his own publishing company to actually being a very, very busy executive with a global uh, mandate. So just before the break, uh, we're talking about uh, the the writing and uh, you were telling us, Phil, the differences between the book. I know that uh, there was something we didn't mention yet, so I let you mention that. Yeah, uh, thanks, Laura. The the publishing house that I own is uh, Two Promises Publishing. And the two promises that I make to my readers is to provide interesting and entertaining fictional novels. And the second part, which is really important, is that I provide these novel, novels and short stories absolutely free of charge. So you can go to my website and down those, uh, download those books free of charge or to distributors like Smashwords or Goodreads. And uh, all my books are zero cost to the reader. Yeah. That's amazing. So, you know, if I need uh, any more proof, uh, why do I feel so lucky to have met you and to have you in my corner? So thank you for sharing that. And I hope uh, those of you who are listening, you will go and, and read them. They are very, uh, they're very good. 
I, I thoroughly enjoyed them. And I, it's good that sometimes you have to have a reason for doing certain things. And then you think, why did I do this sooner? But I thoroughly enjoyed reading your work, Phil. So let's come back to uh, the other part of you, who is a very senior executive and, uh, as I said, has a very broad, uh, large mandate for the organization. Tell us more about what you do today. So I currently work at uh, Sun Life Financial, um, and I've, I've always worked in technology. I'm fascinated by technology. Um, so I run the technology uh, for Sun Life Financial. I'm, I'm responsible for all of the um, business applications worldwide, um, the architecture group, project management, um, the um, uh, distribution of, of digital capabilities, uh, right across the organization. That's about 2,000 people working on uh, digital and uh, technology projects in about seven countries across five time zones. Uh, so it's a, it's a very large mandate and a very challenging and interesting job. Sounds very big as well. Uh, very, I'm sure you're very busy. Yeah. Um, you... You know that tab is uh, is about uh, decision making because I felt there was a need for for an organization to help uh, senior decision makers at the point where decisions are still being formed. So so there's more um, room, if you wish, to actually influence the quality of the decision making. So let me ask you: What have you encountered at some of the greatest challenges in 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 your roles across? them in general there's, there's all kinds of challenges that you encompass as your as your journey starts uh, from a junior to a senior uh, within large or small or medium organizations I think um, probably the greatest challenges that I went through was making that leap from a sort of middle level manager through to uh, a senior manager and then a senior executive and I think um, the, the biggest challenge that everybody faces, and, and this is uh, not industry-specific, is the more senior you get, uh, the, the, um, you have to let go. And it's very difficult because you're letting go practices that have worked for you. So you're having to redefine who you are, and you, you have to let go of what made you successful in the first place. So I was very detail-oriented. I was very conscientious. I, I, you know, I wanted everything perfect. And as you start to go up the chain of command and you, you, you know, your, your range of, of your job is 2,000 people, there's no way that you can control 2,000 people and understand what everybody's doing. So you have to grow talent underneath you. Um, and you let go. You have to get comfortable with ambiguity. You have to drop your perfectionism. Um, the sheer volume of activities that happen within senior jobs, um, a lot of people can't do this. They internalize that, and it makes them sick, or they, they work harder, and that's, that's, um, that's not possible either. You're going to burn out. So, and the other challenge that I have is the, just the field that I work in. Technology is changing so rapidly, really rapidly, I mean, there's more technology in my iPhone 6 today than there is 
um, than there was in the Eagle Lander of my namesake. Neil Armstrong landed on the moon in 1969. Could you imagine landing on the moon, Lara, with an iPhone 6 powering your uh, spacecraft? Amazing. Not really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I yeah. think that's really the biggest thing is just adapting yourself and getting comfortable with ambiguity, letting go of that perfectionism and things that have worked for you in the past won't work for you in the future in larger roles. Yeah, and that's absolutely right. I come across it all the time and and, uh, we are absolutely in agreement here that that's one of the biggest challenges in transitioning to more senior roles. Any techniques or any anything that you have done that from a, uh, a practical behavioral perspective uh, could be a benefit to someone else? I know a lot of people are afraid to not appear to perform as well when they don't have the information. How did you overcome your own um you know, angst of, of doing less, I mean, to go from a perfectionist to letting go, it's, it's quite a leap. Anything you did that you could share with us? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, as you were talking, I was just recalling a conversation I had last week. Um, I, I, I have about six or seven VPs that report to me globally, and one of them, my newest one, has been in the role for about a year, so I did a check-in with him to say, you know, it's been a year now as a VP, and it's the first time he's become a vice president. And so um, I wanted to get his uh, thoughts on how he made that transition. And the thing that came out loud and clear from that conversation didn't surprise me at all. It was, and he, and he used these exact words. He said, you know, you've always told us this, and it's a big transition to go into your first executive job, but you don't realize it until you do it. It's so lonely. And he used those exact words. And I said, so I probed a little bit. I said, what do you mean it's lonely? You work with teams every day. You're surrounded with all kinds of people. He goes, yeah, but it's the realization that the buck stops here, that you're now in a position where you're accountable for making decisions, and those decisions are either going to be favorable ones or unfavorable ones. And so it, 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 it's a little consuming. And I said to him, well, um, what about getting advice? What about going and talking to people? And he goes, you get great advice, but at the end of the day, it's still your decision. And so what I've done and, and what I tell uh, anyone that asks me is advice is really important. Go and get counsel. Don't reinvent things. Keep learning. You know, stay hungry. And then give back and help people that um, are around you and develop your staff. You need to prop yourself up with really good people underneath you. Don't change who you are. And, and those challenges will soon, and I know it sounds a little cliche-ish, but those challenges will stu- soon start to look like opportunities, especially opportunities for growth. So you kind of need to park your ego and then go through that little bit of a checklist. You know, I love quotes, and Veronica Roth has a great quote around this. She says, um, I wonder if fears ever really go away or if they just lose their power over us. That's pretty deep because um, most of the constraints and most of the fears are self-generated. And once you break through that um, and and you surround yourself with good, supportive people and you give back, that's how you sort of uh, deal with all that type of uh, pressure that comes through uh, advancement and uh, variety at work. 
That's amazing. Thanks for sharing that. It's it. I love the story because it's one of the reasons uh, that I created TAB. I, I work with senior executives and I hear the same thing. It's so lonely at the top. It's so lonely at the top all the time. And what yeah. I try to explain to my clients and others, people I meet in general, is that it's a loneliness that you create. It's a barrier between you and the rest of the world, and like you said, your team or other peers, that you create and it's somewhat uh, artificial. Because TAB creates this opportunity for people to talk and get their advice, it's amazing. It's almost physical. You, you hear the fear going down you people start to feel more comfortable with the information they're receiving with the decision they're making it so absolutely getting advice talking things through allows people to put things in a different perspective and suddenly notice things that they haven't noticed before or even let new information in so thank you for sharing that uh, example well the other thing as well Lara is people don't really want to appear to not be in control of their job and so they're reticent to talk to people inside the company and that's where I think tab adds a tremendous value in that you can go and have a, a conversation about whatever you need to to work through in your mind with someone who's objective and doesn't have a political agenda and is not within your company, but maybe in your industry or maybe not, and you feel a little bit more comfortable opening up to somebody like that. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? I've noticed that once they they break that very first barrier with someone from the outside, um, it becomes easier to talk to people internally as well. Um, I, I remember when I was writing the, the business plan, oh my God, the first business plan I ever wrote, so I don't think was that good, but one of the the goals or part of the vision that I have for building TAP is also to change the culture within organizations of that um, fear of, of not appearing in control because time after time you see people making the wrong decision either because they don't have the skill or the right information or the right mindset but they prefer to do that rather than admit that they haven't done it before or they don't have the right information so it is a hope of mine that it will also change the culture of how people interact with each other and how they make decisions at that very high level. Yep. You talked about, carry on, sorry, Phil. No, no, go ahead. Uh, you talked about uh, liking um, liking quotes, and I know that you, you used one of Eric Fromm's um, a couple of times. Creativity requires the courage to let go of certainties. You, you work in innovation, um, and innovation is no doubt a, a huge challenge, and I don't know if it's higher or um, less of a challenge for larger for larger versus smaller organization, but certainly a huge challenge for large corporations. Um, I remember reading uh, a report by Deloitte, and it said that 98% of innovation fails, uh, innovation projects. So it may sound like a silly question, but if it's that hard and so many of them fail, What's the point of doing it in the first place? So why do you believe innovation is important? Um, you know, I was reading a PricewaterhouseCoopers study the other day, and, it, and they, they interviewed uh, global CEOs 
Um, 93% of them said that their company's success is inextricably tied to innovation. Yet only 18% of those CEOs felt that their innovation programs were uh, effective. Um, I think companies these days <clears throat> are struggling to dif differentiate themselves. And um, they really are looking for their employees, the creative employees, to give them ideas and capture ideas from employees, customers, suppliers, <clears throat> get inspiration from anywhere so that they can refine their business practices and models and then can provide superior service, superior products that differentiate themselves from the wash of noise that's out there. Yeah. Um, when it comes to innovation, I, I actually don't like solutions looking for a problem. I like to work the other way. I like to tackle a big business problem that's known within the company, tackle that head-on, get a group of motivated individuals around that problem, and then bring processes, technology, um, and different thought processes to bear on that to come up with a solution. And I've, I've found that that's the best way to go. Let the problem drive the solution and not do science experiments and then try and fit it into your company. Yeah, I think corporate, I think yeah, corporate, culture, plays a, corporate culture plays a huge part in that too, Lara. And we, we've worked together in a couple of organizations. And, you know, I think you, you really have to assess whether you're working in an organization that's collaborative or whether it's a, a bit of a dictatorship where the, the priorities are force-fed from above or whether you're in a, an organization that really needs to heavily socialize ideas and gain support before it takes traction. So understanding the company that you work in and the corporate culture is really, really uh, important when you come to uh, tackle the subject of innovation, but it's worth doing. Yeah, of course it is. I mean, I couldn't agree with you more, and you're absolutely right. It provides that differentiation on a, a market, in a market, inside of a market that's becoming more complex and more competitive and more global. So it's even more important to uh, to encourage uh, innovation. What's uh, interesting, everything is interesting from what you said, but it um, it reminded me of the of some of the science of decision making, and this is kind of the element that I I, I bring to tab. That uh, it's interesting that if you actually give the brain a problem to solve, the brain will solve it. You just have to make sure that you give the right problem, and and it's very interesting how you said it. We do see it a lot of times. Um, solutions are created kind of a, in a lab or in isolation. I don't mean lab in, in a, a normal sense, but outside of the problem. And then it's uh, applied into or then we look for the problems to, to find those things. Um, fascinating. How would you say that your organization, how does Sound Life define innovation? Oh, that's the $64,000 question, isn't it? That is, that's probably one of the reasons why um, a lot of innovation programs fail. It's one of the toughest um, answers to give. How do you define innovation? Um, the word innovation itself is so overused these days. It really is. Um, again, going back to my love of quotes, um, I, I always use this one when it comes to that question. Theodore Levitt. He said, creativity is thinking up new things 
and innovation is doing new things. So there's a practical element there. If you go into um, many companies, you'll find lots of exceptionally smart people. They've got great ideas, but you'll find very few people who can actually take those ideas, mobilize the resources required to move them through uh, into production, and actually launch the results of those ideas, because they typically challenge established norms, and there's lots of resistance. So Sun Life looks at innovation <clears throat> in a couple of ways. Um, we, we sort of define innovation in, in two layers. We have small innovation, or small I, which is a grassroots kind of movement where a bunch of employees get together, they discuss something, they come up with a, a really quick uh, procedural change or some, some code, or they spend a little bit of time working on something. And, and we've had tremendous success bubbling ideas up through the organization uh, and capturing and prioritizing those ideas grassroots. And then we have large eye, large innovation. This is a bit more complicated. It costs a lot more dollars, could be you know, into the multiple millions of dollars for these types of projects. They cut across teams and formal structures. They challenge traditional silos and management structures. And so we've got about four or five of those going per year, and they, they take a little bit more management resources. So that's how we kind of look at innovation, um, small I and large I, and the processes to deal with those are very, very different. That's very interesting, and we will talk more uh, about it. We're just going to go into a two-minute commercial break, but don't go away. Phil and I will be back to talk more uh, of innovation. Um, you've raised some very interesting points there that i like to come back. So don't go away. If you have questions, please email me at lellis at trustedadvisoryboard.com. Talk to you soon. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Do you believe in the value you bring to an organization? Have you been overlooked for a promotion because you think differently than your peers? Do you know that you can and will make a difference to the business? Let Tab Advanced be your personal advisory board and help you make different, better decisions about your career. Our team is customized to your successful advancement and hones in on when, why, and how you make those decisions. Build a more fulfilling career. Contact us today at advance at trustedadvisoryboard.com. Are you a CEO, a board director, or an entrepreneur looking to have more control over the future of your organization? If the answer is yes, you need Tab Ignite. Our approach is unique, intelligent, and it works. Our solution is exclusively positioned to guarantee the results you seek for your business because we make it simple for you to tap our advisor's expertise and experience and make accurate business decisions. Ask Tab Ignite to work for you at tabignite at trustedadvisoryboard.com and make your next decision the first of many best decisions for your company. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned into Because There's More with host Laura Ellis. 
To connect with our program today, please send Laura an email to lellis at trustedadvisoryboard.com. Now, back to Because There's More. Hello, I'm Laura Ellis, and this is Because There's More, the show that takes a closer look at decision-making. And today I'm here with Phil Armstrong, and we're talking about innovation in the corporate uh, environment in particular. Um, Phil works in a large global organization. And Phil, you're just telling us about uh, the different approaches that Sun Life has to innovation, some smaller projects that are treated in one way, and then um, larger projects that are completely different framework applies to those. What do you see, what are some of the things that, um, if you go into more detail, have worked and have allowed you as an um, innovation driver um, and the organization that you work for to succeed in uh, your innovation efforts? Yeah, great question. Um, Laura, when I was a little bit younger and a little bit more naive, I looked at innovation and I thought, wow, this is amazing, right? You're going to do these innovative projects. Everybody's going to love them. It's going to um, create new products and services. Our customers are going to absolutely love this. Why wouldn't you sign up for this and why wouldn't you support it? It's just too good to be true. And then you actually start working in innovation programs and maybe you get uh, tagged with the innovation guy and you start working across the organization, large global organizations, and you realize very quickly that you're not aligned and that people are resisting, and, it, and it's a bit of a shock. Um, Woody Allen has a great quote. He says, if you're not failing every now and again, it's a sign you're not doing anything innovative. And that really sort of leads you to some of the behaviors around why people don't want to support innovation in organizations. It's a fear of failure. They, if they associate themselves and their career with a, with a project, especially something that you're cutting new ground or you're um, doing something that's never been done before, there's no certainty of success. Nowadays, our organizations are set up um, to be perfect especially in financial services, you're, you're in a trust business. You're managing people's money. Failure is not an option. Everything has to be perfect. And so that runs a little counterintuitive to innovation programs. And so what I found is that in order for innovation programs to be successful, especially in large organizations, you have to create an environment where it supports controlled failure. And I use that term very carefully, controlled failure. We know that we learn more out of failure than success. And in fact, those failures can lead to bigger successes with a little bit of tweaking. Um, but the fact that you're working on something and, and you create an environment that can do that, whether I think you mentioned a lab, Lara, earlier on, whether it's a lab or a factory or a garage that's set up within the company, that you can prototype things and have controlled failure and then learn from that and move on. Of course, coming out of those incubation labs, sometimes there are ideas that are just phenomenal, and we've seen that. Um, but employees, 
get very excited about innovation. And even though some of the things that go through those labs don't make it into production, so therefore, quote, they're a failure, you should see the, um, the results that we get within my company around increased employee engagement, better collaboration, and increased client satisfaction and service that's coming from a result of these institution of these labs into our practices. It's not just about commercial success and dollars, although that's important too, um, but there's major side benefits of having an innovation program. And in fact, the financial analysts are even getting onto this these days. Even in um, uh, financial calls where quarterly results, the financial analysts start peppering CEOs with questions around what does innovation mean to you? What describe your innovation program within your company? And they're getting on this um, topic to ensure that companies are reinventing themselves, keeping fresh, and that there's earning potential uh, further uh, for their investments in these companies. So it's very, very important. Yeah, you you brought up a very important point and no surprise to me uh, it's the first time that I, I heard that uh, being uh, mentioned uh, in relation to innovation um, the side effect if you wish and side effect may have more of a negative connotation but but actually the the lateral advantage of, of running innovation in organization and how it translates to um, employee engagement which ultimately you know any discretionary effort in the end will translate in better uh, relationships across different departments and better relationship towards the customers so ultimately if you f- uh, if you follow the thread it will likely translate into more revenue for the organization anyway it's just a different way of measuring uh, success that perhaps organizations need to get uh, much more aware of to really realize the advantages or what it is that they're giving up or leaving on the table if they don't uh, support um, innovation. I went to a conference, um, an innovation summit uh, last year in London and it was attended by um, a lot of chief innovation officers in large organizations um, in, in Europe with a European presence. And I love the, you talk about quotes. I love quotes too. I love clever quotes. They say so much more than one could in the same number of words. One um, of the things that came up over and over again from every single speaker Uh, was what was summed up by this uh, quote. The biggest challenge in innovation for those uh, chief innovation officers was how to get poker players to talk to the chess players. (laughs) Yeah. How how would you uh, translate that through your experience? Well, Does that make in, sense to you? It yeah. absolutely makes sense. Uh, I would describe it this way. Within large organizations, there are uh, emerging two camps. Um, as boomers retire and millennials come into the workforce, um, there's two very different camps. They're both right and they're both wrong. So one camp, the traditional camp, the boomers, have been put through university, without Google, I might add, and they've come into the workforce and they've been trained on 
financial ratios and financial measures. So they look at the world through ROI, ROE, earnings per share, lots of financial ratios and measures. When the millennials get into the workforce, they don't look at a capital-centric model. They look at a customer-centric model. And so they're looking at the world through time savings, ease of use, convenience, loyalty, habit-forming, likes, preferences, stickiness. Both are right. You can't have ease of use and time savings, but yet not make any money for the company. You can't be so focused on making money that you alienate your customers because that's a very short-term strategy. So both camps are right, and it's just that natural rub that's going on right now uh, to find middle ground where um, you're doing both things. And I think innovation is right in no man's land in the middle of those two camps. And so it's interesting trying to bring those two cultures together. Absolutely. And I'm looking at the time, Phil. Uh, this is at the beginning of the show. I always think, you know, it's going to be an hour. It's going to go however it's going to go. And then towards the end, I think, damn, I wish we had another hour. So <laughs> I have to promise the, the listeners that I'm going to bring you back because there's so much more to talk about that. And it's such a huge topic. In fact, part of my uh, intent is to actually create an, an innovation series because I strongly believe, as you do, that it is one of the critical success factors in, in today's uh, global uh, economy, differentiations through innovation. And um, so saying that, if you were to articulate uh, for the listeners, what would be uh, some key points that you want, uh, three, four points that you want to make about what would allow them to uh, succeed at innovation? What would those be? Yeah, great question. So if your boss comes in and says, we've just anointed you as the leader of innovation for the company, here would be my sort of three points that I would uh, um, give you to set you off on the right path. The first one would be try and find a very senior, passionate sponsor of the innovation program across your company, preferably the CEO, um, and get some advice, and that's where TAB can certainly help you with that. Second one would be identify business problems, create prototype solutions, work backwards from a business problem to the solution. Don't just start up a factory, create lots of solutions, and then go out into the company and try and sell them because no one is willing to risk picking those up, whereas if you start from the business challenge first and work your way back, you're going to get more receptivity. Um, prototype out that solution as well. Don't do the full solution and then, and then get the, the uh, business people and business sponsors excited about that. And then the third point would be talk about innovation passionately at every chance you get. Um, it's amazing how much it engages the staff. How many town hall speeches have you heard where management shows up and uses those cliches around, we want you to give 110% effort, we want you to think outside the box. That's not motivational. That really doesn't resonate with the staff. They know they can only give 100% effort. They know, they know that outside of the box is another box. And so if you talk about innovation um, and you stay humble and you stay hungry, 
Um, people really resonate with that. They think they can make a difference. They think they can do something that improves the company. And it's amazing how much uh, that uh, motivates staff, that they're being listened to, that their ideas are bubbling up, and that the good ones will transform into something uh, tangible. So those probably are my three. Get a, get a senior sponsor, start with business problems, and talk a lot and often to embed it in the DNA of your company about innovation. Thank you, Phil. That's great. You know, I'm looking at the time here and I'm counting seconds. I'm thinking, I'm, I don't want to stop him. I don't want to stop him, but we'll have just one minute till the end of the show. I hope you enjoyed it. I had a fantastic time and I can't oh, wait. It's been to... fantastic. fantastic. Thank you Laura. so much. Anytime. And I, I hope you remember you said any time because I will bring you back. One of the things that is of huge interest to me is how do you actually get on board the biggest chess player of them all, the CEO? I think that's a huge challenge that I see out there. But for now, uh, I'm going to have to uh, wrap it up. Thank you again for an amazing, uh, uh, amazing content. And we'll be back on uh, Voice America's business channel next week at the same time, 6 a.m. PST, 9 a.m. Uh, EST, and uh, 2 p.m. GMT. Thank you, Phil. Everyone have a great week. Talk to you next week. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of Because There's More. Join Laura Ellis again next Monday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel. Be sure to tune in because there's more.